Hello, everyone. Welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology. And with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover on the show, feel free to email us at fromnowheretonothingpodcast gmail.com or contact us on our Facebook page. Most everyone has heard the phrase, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And while the truism perhaps doesn't hold in all situations, there seems to be one where it does in the 21st century, entertainment. The notion of the reboot has become pervasive in media, from TV and movies to books and video games. Philosophically, it begs the question, why are we so preoccupied with past stories? <laughs> so this is our, our, the last in our series. I guess we should put that in quotes at this point because the, the thread between them appears to be so loose, but I don't think that it really is between nihilism and institutional foundations and now reboots. But this will definitely be the lightest and, and the most fun of, <laughs> of the three that are focused on yes, um, you know, this idea of traditionalist thinking. So what, what is a reboot? When you take a story, well, we, we, we know, I'm not saying anything new here, but you asked. So. I saw a reboot last night. I went to see Blue Beetle. And it takes, it has in the pre-credits, and I'm not going to give enough way to ruin it for anybody, it just has uh, elements of the character, who the character was in the 1960s. And, and 70s. That's completely different than that. This is a reconception through uh, through uh, Latinx culture. It's reconception through um, current times and Marxism and all kinds of things. Uh, but it still has that element. And for somebody like me, who is a comic book geek, to see the old costume sitting in a, in the beetle cave, <laughs> you know, uh, that 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 was fun. So a, a reboot is taking an old idea, and and rethinking it in terms of current times. Okay. So we what was the first story? Just ever the right? first story ever. Yeah. Once upon a time, in the beginning, <laughs> yeah, uh, we, uh, we we can't know that. But so, but you mean yeah. as a trope? You mean as a, or, as a yeah? What's the what's the first recorded story we have? The first recorded story. Well, there's still some a little bit of of, of debate about that uh, because recorded would imply. Uh, Eastern or Western methods of putting things on, on paper or ascribing them in some way, and oral cultures just get dropped out of that. And mm. so I, I count oral cultures as recording because it's human recording. So um, so that question jumped me a bit. But uh, let's see. There's Beowulf. Um, there's uh, wealth. For flood stories, there's the the Deucalion story, and even before that, a Japanese story. Uh, there's uh, ancient, well, Sumerian, Babylonian, uh, Gilgamesh. It's one of the most ancient that that we're aware of. So, so yeah, there's a, there's a bunch from there. Have any of them been rebooted? Oh yeah, yeah I think yeah. probably the most the most um, a parent would be Beowulf, right? Hmm. I think. 
Yeah, when I when I was teaching officially, <laughs> uh, I, I had fun with you know teaching King Arthur and all the iterations that came out. And and I went on a side trip. I decided let I want to watch all the films that have been done about Beowulf. Oh, six or seven films. Yeah, across decades. Right. So Beowulf is still lingering out there. Some are almost unrecognizable as Beowulf, but you know, the, because reboots don't don't mean retelling the same story in the same way, right? Which gets into you know how you define them, right? Like if if we say just arbitrarily, right, that that the Epic of Gilgamesh is the oldest story that we have verifiably recorded, right? Yeah, let's run with that one as, as an example. So if we ask ourselves, um, well, has the, has the Epic of Gilgamesh been rebooted? I think that then we sort of have to look at, well, how many elements of the story do you need to have in order to consider it a reboot? Is oh. it the characters or is it the plot line or is it what would it take? You're talking about narrative ship of Theseus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> All right. So just straight on rebooting or retelling, um, <clears throat> there have been numerous books, uh, translations, re retranslating uh, over the course of the past couple hundred years. There have been a number of children's books with Gilgamesh. I used to use one of them in some of my classes. Uh, so the reboot can come in the form of different kinds of books for different kinds of audiences as a first level, but then there's a second level as you talk about. Let's, so we put it in, in uh, the vaguer terms. A, an arrogant and uh, strategically brilliant leader uh, starts out with a really good idea, builds and builds, but then puts people off because of his own arrogance and makes a friend who is the complete opposite who balances him out and brings him back to being his heroic self. And I think if we just did that, you're smiling. So you could, <laughs> I mean, for heaven's sake, even there's this, this B movie uh, chain, chain of movies, the uh, sequences of movies called uh, the expendables. My brother and I call it the expandables, but because <laughs> <laughs> they sort of get a little larger. Anyway, that, that has elements of, of it. The old guy who tries to pull a team together and the younger guy is saying, we're not following that. That's a bad idea now. You know? Right. So, yeah. So it becomes interesting, right? Because um, if you look at just the the conceptual outline, that's essentially what Joseph Campbell was trying to do with it is. with the hero of a thousand faces and the hero's journey, right? Is is saying, well, you know, if you break down almost any story to its constituent components, you see this sort of um, you know element, all these elements that run through them. So. Perhaps it's not fair to break it down into the most general elements. So what elements do you need for it to be a re reboot? Do you need the same characters? Do you need, I think you need, I think you need characters who are either the same or very much parallel. So let's say, um, you know, we had the original Avengers, right? <laughs> say 15 years from now, we have an Avengers movie, but yeah. none of the same characters are in it. It's all new superheroes. Is it that a, it, would that be a reboot or would it, that be? It, it, it would in a, in a, in a peripheral sense, because that's it just comic book lore. That's, that's the nature of the Avengers. 
the old order changeth. We talked about that phrase in not so long ago. Uh, there were there was always new Avengers. There were always, and then it was West Coast Avengers, and so on. So, so that's part of their DNA. Yeah. Whereas if you had Batman, right? If 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 five years from now they made a movie and it was Robin and Nightwing, right? Yeah. That would be different from having. It yeah. would be. There's the there's the DNA of Batman. I mean, there are umpteen shows on uh, CW and uh, Max and so on that that I I dabble in that you know where Batman's dead or Batman has disappeared, uh, and and then Nightwing Robin becomes Nightwing, and then there's other Robin, and then there's the other other Robin, and then you know, but it's all sooner or later it references back to Batman, mm. what the mission was, how these people are changing. That mission, why they were upset at him, why they honor him, all those things. So the DNA is there, but it's not the same. So that wouldn't that wouldn't be a reboot or not a thing. No, the reboot would be okay. We had Adam West, then then we had uh, you know Michael Keaton and Val Kilmer and 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 so George Clooney. Those okay, are so the same character. Yeah, same character. At least the same main character is a necessary element. The same for main a backstory. Same main backstory. Okay. Now that's interesting, right? Because I mean, I think if you look at a lot of the Batman movies, outside of maybe his his parents getting killed, yeah. there's a lot, quite a bit of variation in the backstory. There is, but that's but that parents being killed is absolutely vital to the story. Not, people get tired of having that redone every time they do a new Batman, mm-hmm. and and the filmmakers are finding ways of they're just sort of now it's becoming shorthand. You see a. Uh, uh, some pearls falling in the dark into a, a mud puddle, and you know that Bruce Wayne's mother has been killed, the father's been killed. It's like it's just like uh, a filler in an old uh, in in the Odyssey, where the storyteller, where Homer or the Homeric storytellers would would use standard phrases to keep the story going, like referring to gray-eyed Athena or the wine-dark sea or the falling pearls. You know? Yeah. Uh, but you have to have that because that's what created Batman. Now, Wayne Manor is going to look different. And I don't mind, we're talking pop culture because we're lighter today, right? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Right. So, uh, vastly different. Alfred looks vastly different. Sometimes there's not even an Alfred anymore. He died. But there's all that. Yeah. So, I think, th- so it's almost as if rather than in the beginning when we were asking about um if a reboot can be based on the general elements, it's almost diametrically opposed. It's almost as if in order to be a reboot, you actually only need specific elements. You need the specific main character. You need the specific, the main specific detail of a backstory, maybe the main specific details of his villain or of his cohorts, those sorts of things. But then every, all of the other supporting details, um, the other, the general arc of the story, a lot of those things are more malleable, but you right. need those those specific details. And even And even the character's behavior. I mean, if we stick with Batman, we know that when he was first developed, Batman carried guns. Batman um, shot people off of buildings in 1939, 1940 comic books. Hmm. You know, if, if you're a you're done. Batman was the punisher, except that he was a millionaire playboy. And... That got dark enough that people said, eh, we got to lighten this up because otherwise they're going to, you know, over the arc of 10 or 12 years, the censors came moving in and so on. So then we got as far as the silliness of the 1960s with Adam West and Burr Ward. Right. And then people wanted the Dark Knight back again. And so then we've, 
we, we got to Michael Keaton, but there was some comedy because he was a comedian at the time, you know, he was known as comic actor as well. So he's, he's an amazing actor. And then it got silly with George Clooney, Batman and the bat credit card and all that stuff back to the silliness. Then Christian Bale, uh, you know, the, the Christopher Nolan trilogy darkened it a lot mm. and, and gritty made it gritty. And then it's gotten darker so that we have Robert Pattinson, just gloomy, goth. <laughs> just overwhelmingly gloomy, that one was yeah, for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think they lost it on the other end of things. Right. So there's been a huge amount of variation. Yeah. But Batman's always there. His parents always die. His yeah. villains are always picked out of a predictable cast and he has a moral compass in the form of the person who helped raise him right okay so i think that helps us sort of establish what a reboot is yeah um battlestar galactica i know people don't even necessarily remember this but but i've had enough of an arc too in the 1970s and into early 1980s there was a science fiction show they, they had they had capes they had the, the cylon uh, terrible robots that were coming after and destroying the colonies of earth and so uh they fly off into space with ragtag armada to look for the last colony it had elements of of judaic uh, mythology it had all kinds of things but it was it was campy and it was the special effects of the 70s and you know, the cigar chewing pilot and all of that then into the two, early 2000s, it was rebooted into a serious science fiction, dark, politically fascinating, sociologically gripping television series about the Battlestar Galactica, which looked almost the same on the outside. And this armada of ships who were deceived by the Cylons, who were human replicant kinds of uh, creatures, not quite robots entirely. Yeah, and and the ship didn't look the same inside. Some of the same basic character names were there, but as an exercise in rebooting, it is probably the classic one for me. Yeah, and that that raises another interesting question, which is, you know, do the criteria for reboots um, vary among media types? Right, because I think that we've talked about movies thus far. Um, and so if you're looking at a, a TV series or a book, or most notably, I would think might be video games because technology has had the greatest impact on their development, right? <laughs> if you look at Mario and the original where Donkey Kong's just throwing barrels down and you're essentially just trying to solve a maze to get up to the top versus Mario Kart and all the, the new games, right? Where he's doing all these things that would have been impossible back in the day. Yeah. Um, you go, well, at what point? Um, would you say that maybe it's it's not a reboot? Or how do we know that it's a reboot if things have changed so much, right? And so with movies, and I think, it's interestingly enough, I think movies and books might be able to survive by the same criteria of having the main character, you know, and then villains and supporting cast pulled from a, a certain line and, and, you know, a backstory and those sorts of things. I think that sort of transcends. Um, for a video game and, and maybe uh, a TV series where you're looking at serial episodes that are shorter, but a possible continuity that lasts much longer, 
Do you think those same criteria still hold up for a reboot? Well, I think that they do perhaps a little more flexibly. And a, and a, a fine example of that is, is Star Trek. And we'll just move away from the movies. And so with Battlestar Galactica, that was a TV show too. So Star Trek, the classic first Star Trek, um, Kirk and Spock and McCoy and, and all the crew and the USS Enterprise. And then uh, there were all kinds of movies and, and reboots of, of the movies with other people playing the same characters. And now there's their television series. Uh, uh, one is about the previous captain of the Enterprise, who was Gene Roddenberry's first captain and the pilot of the show, Christopher Pike. And then they brought him back as somebody who'd been damaged by a terrible accident trying to rescue his crew. And, and one of the episodes of the original Star Trek, because the pilot didn't go and the actor didn't want to stay with series TV. And so they just reset everything. Uh, but now that character is back in the TV show. That's a really rip roaringly fun, uh, show, but it doesn't feel exactly like the old Trek, but it makes lots of references. Spock is there and, and some other familiar characters, but uh, people of a certain age that, that I've talked with personally at length uh, have issues because it doesn't look like the old Enterprise. Well, it's not going to look like the old Enterprise. I went down to Ticonderoga here in New York State and, and toured this perfect recreation of the old sets. It was like being in a TV episode. It was an amazingly transformative uh, escape of a moment. But nobody's going to use that set now. That was 1960s, very limited budget, creative uh, building. And, and so when you get into a place where you have to have it look exactly alike, then you're missing the point of the, uh, the stories. And that's where I think the reboot missed. We're talking about nostalgia, aren't we? So yeah, to some, to some degree. And I think that that's where it gets interesting is because if you think about the debut of Star Trek versus now, our conceptions of futuristic technology have shifted so widely because of developments that have happened in reality that this veil of, um, you know, uh, your, your ideas about what technology in the future will look like, if you were to use the old sets or whatever, you might go, oh, well, that's ridiculous. You know, in the future, we'll have something way better than that because we have something better than that now. Right, right, you right. Know? We, we, we've regressed. I mean, because then... It was a big deal that you could flip open this little thing called the communicator and talk to anybody anywhere. And, and there's been a lot of discussion about how that may well have affected the, the development of flip phones and, and cell phones decades later. But yeah, we're not going to watch a show where somebody takes this little disc um, and sticks it in a slot and it has lots of information on it. And that's a great big deal because we <laughs> right <no. laughs> so but that but it brings up the issue about what what nostalgia itself is why do we re there are there are people who talk about nostalgia as uh, as the idea of, of just going back and reliving um the old days or old fun or or whatever well we were just talking about high school reunions right uh, uh, before we started recording and 
there there are people who want to just relive what happened. Uh, and that's not the kind of nostalgia that I find interesting. The psychological, philosophical nostalgia is, yes, go back and, and, and have something that motivates you to think about, remember um, previous experiences in your life. But as a way of refreshing, re rethinking about who you are now, not as a way of escaping into pretending that you're living back in that same life. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess that, that brings us to the question of what is the purpose of a reboot? Why do we reboot things, right? Is it is it all nostalgia or what or is it capitalistic? Or, <laughs> you know, why why do we why do we bother to if if you know the original Star Trek exists and everybody likes it, what what's the purpose of of trying to to do it again? Well, when you tell fresh stories with some characters who might be the same, but other characters who are new and they're newer stories, then 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 you're capturing that. Oh, let's have some more. Let's go. This is a better carnival ride than than the last one. Right. But I know the ride. I know pretty much what it's going to do. But you know, so it is capitalistic. Of course, it is. It's 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 also also a um, a recognizing that there were elements of a certain story that still can tell us some things and that that's where it's a little more serious for me if it's just trying to rehash the same stories that they told back then no it's not going to tell us anything new if if we read gilgamesh now it is literature or at least of a kind and and it can inform us freshly because of a different stage in life that we are at same thing with lord of the rings i've told you before i, re I read it once every decade and I, I've found that story changing enormously for me as I get older. Hmm. Um, and so I think that the book idea or the oral culture of mythology and so on, uh, rebooting and revisiting mythology, um, it helps when there's a fresh translation. Uh, I think I've mentioned to you before that the, during the pandemic, two new uh, translations of the odyssey came out well the odyssey is one of the most ancient stories mm -hmm. right? uh one was translated by a, 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 a fantastically lauded uh, a woman a scholar academic poet one a, a man and you wouldn't read them and say oh that's i i not oh that's the woman's version and this is the man's version it's not that but there are different phrases because every human who's translating something will find different. And so just to read those two in tandem was a remarkable refreshing of, of the Odyssey. Yeah. And I remember that was my first, um, this, you know, visceral experience with literature was being a kid and my mom read me, um, the Odyssey and Jason and the Argonauts, uh. um, for children. They had these beautiful illustrations mm. and the stories were vastly simplified. Um, but between the two, you know, the ability when it was brought down to a level that I could comprehend as a child matched with these illustrations, it totally captured my imagination. And I wanted her to read them to me over and over and over again. Then when I could read myself, I read them over mm -hmm. and over. And mm -hmm. then it sparks something that causes you to to want to go to that in the future. So I think that there's there's value to that. And I think that, you know, you see it. I remember <laughs> this happened to me with the Bible, right? I think everybody's always been... You know, you walk into 
you know, a Catholic church or someplace you've never been and for a wedding or a ceremony or something, you crack open a Bible and it's like, thee thou shalt not do this. And then, you know, you go to a, a bookstore and you crack open a new version. It's like, uh, hey man, be chill with your bros, Jesus <laughs> said, you know, like, so yeah. Yeah. you're trying to tell the same story, but you have, you have different versions, you know? And there's a lot of debate over what gets lost. There is, um, and there should be, and, th and that's that's very important. Right, right. And so that brings up the question, um, you know, in translation and versions um, are important. But what about what role does canon play in designing a reboot? If you have an established story, um, how do you go about writing new stories with that in mind? Well, there's. <sighs> That's an expansive question, but just just a, a scattershot of quick responses. Uh, for most television shows, now the, the writer's strike is going on now, bless it. I hope they accomplish exactly what they want, because they should. It needs to happen. Um, but, what, but barring writer's strikes, uh, you have a, a books that are called various things, sometimes even the Bible, for uh, the basics of a, char a set of characters for a TV show. And if you're going to write for the show, you need to have that as a background. In Marvel Comics, they have an extensive library of the history of who characters have been. Not so you won't deviate from some of the characters, but so you'll have an authentic connection to knowing who some of these characters are, where they've been, so you don't just completely lose who that character is. And apply their name, but the character doesn't behave like the character. Because then you're going to lose the readers. Uh, and righteously, because it would be the same thing as uh, turning. If you told a story about Noah, it'd be an interesting story. Who said, "Okay, I'm putting my wife on board, but this is it. I'm done. I just I'm going to go away with the waters." Well, that'd be a fascinating story. It could be retold. I'd, I'd like to read this, <laughs> but but it isn't the Noah story, mm. and and so it's fine to do alternatives. But whether you are exploring what the Noah story is exploring or not, that, that becomes, I think, the canon part. And I think that's why <clears throat> pop culture likes to do it in the safety of the multiverse, right? Is yeah, because that's putting a lot of people off now, too. It is, yeah. But I think, that, I think that's the reason that it exists in the first place is so that the writers can go, well, yeah, but what would it be like if, we, if the character had a different backstory or if the character did something mm -hmm. different. And so you can explore those things, but you can still say, oh yeah, but Earth 616 is, you know, that's the real one. You go, well, how do you know if it's the real one? If it's these <laughs> other, right? You start asking philosophical right. questions that get you in trouble. But when I was, when I was a kid and you know, really got into comic books and never left, but uh, at, at one point, I, I believe it was in the early 70s, uh, Marvel started doing a thing called What If. Now, now there's a What If, you know, animated show on Disney Plus and so on. But, but it was the same thing. It was they were fun because of the, what if the Hulk um, were weak? What what if uh, Captain America, uh, Steve Rogers hadn't taken the the serum? Somebody else had, you know. And and so it made you think, ah. We could have completely different stories, and it broke out of canon. So the surprise was you didn't know what was going to happen next. In good writing with characters, you, you usually knew that they were going to come back, they'd succeed sooner or later, 
not so much now. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, witness the Avengers movie, and I still have trouble with the Cap. I love the Captain America scene at, at, you know, when he's an old guy, but it just doesn't gel with me for time travel. It just it just mm. bro- jumped the shark for me because he goes back and he's 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 not Captain America anymore. Suddenly, the serum stops working because he says he's not going to be Captain America anymore, and so he grows old. Or would he grow old anyway? But if he grows, but if he doesn't do the Captain America thing, then how could we end up in the timeline where we are? So you have to put all that aside. Uh, but what if he lets us lets us do that? Yeah, and so it, with characters that don't. Um and I shouldn't say don't because now DC has their own their own multiverse. But let's let's take it back to Batman, just the reboots of the movies, right? Yeah. If you think about the canon of Batman, right, and you look at all the iterations of the movies, you go, well, you know, what role did canon play in some of these, right? Mm-hmm. Is it is it just like what we described with the elements where you go, well, really, all you need is just you know the backstory. His parents got killed. Um, Alfred's there. Uh, you know, he's intent on crime fighting. Is that all that you need from canon and you can fill in the rest of the details? Or, you know, like you said with the Marvel characters, do if you have this detailed backstory, um, and, and especially with like, you know, a book series, right? Yeah. Let's say with a book series, you're not going to go back and rewrite books one through three, but an author wrote books one through three and then he died and then his son wants to pick it up in books four and five, yeah, Dune yeah. or something, yeah, right? Yeah. And you go, well, I'm not going to rewrite the first three, but I'm going to build off of it. Um, how, you know, how much does canon influence where you take your story? Oh, well, it, it's in the case of, of, of Brian Herbert and, um, oh, forgive me, I forget his collaborator, his longtime writer, marvelous writer, but um, Anderson, I think. Um, yeah. Kevin Anderson and Brian Herbert. Yeah, that, I, think. I think that's right. Um, and I've read some of those, and many of them are, are prequels. So they all have to lead up to Duke Atreides being killed and Paul Atreides refinding who he is on Arrakis and Dune. That's absolutely essential, because if you just take them off in an entirely different direction, well, then that story doesn't happen, so then it's not canon anymore. Well, what's the point? And, and, and uh, Silmarillion, Tolkien Silmarillion, does a lot of the backstories of the earlier, before Middle Earth, and he he did that. Is uh, and then his son picked up finding other Tolkien work and and Christopher Tolkien re re bringing it into publication to be uh, honest to what his father wanted, uh, but they aren't all. The Lord of the Rings, right, mm. and and so it's more the universe or the world that the Tolkien had created, and other stories that are happening in it. And so now we talk about things like that, the DC universe or the Marvel universe or the pick your television show universe. Yeah, so I think I think you're onto something there, where the narrative must remain the same, but the environment, the ecosystem that it's in. If it's not explicitly spelled out, is open to being reimagined as part of the canon in a yes. reboot. This for is better or worse. For better or worse, <laughs> this is for me. This is our our, our hinge point, or can be our, one of our hinge points to nihilism. 
on traditionalism. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. Uh, nihilism, not in the, the deepest sense you were talking about, but if you, if you say nothing means anything, and you get a group of writers who say, it doesn't matter what we do with these characters because it, it, it's just comic books. Nothing matters. And they, and they write the comic books. It's going to be awful because essentially they're insulting the readers and themselves and they're saying, no, this, ultimately this doesn't mean anything. Now, if they want to explore philosophically and say all of these efforts of Thor and the Avengers, for instance, ultimately mean nothing because sooner or later, as you've often said, uh, the universe is going to, we're going to have the heat death of the universe, entropy reigns, the sun envelops the planets, they're gone. So it all just doesn't mean anything. But usually these stories are about who people are and why they are and why they do the things they do, despite the fact that sooner or later it's all going to be gone. Yeah, and I think that we see this happen with characters, right? I, we Everybody's watched movies and saw either that writers and producers want to continue um, with a character the way that they should. And we've also seen writers and producers that have said, all right, well, we're just going to buy this property. And you know what? It, it was made so long ago, nobody remembers what it is. So right. instead, we're just going to write a story that we think would be cool. And we're just going to paste these characters into the role. And people love it because people love these kinds of stories. And then people are like, no, these characters would never do this. This is a terrible movie, right? So um, what role does legacy play in deciding a reboot? When you when you take possession of these characters, it's legacy's on the other end of canon, right? Canon is what's already established and how you build off of that. Legacy is what you're doing now and how it's going to affect what happens in the future. So that's that's a that's a nod to traditionalism, <clears throat> in the sense of the tradition of who the character has been. Mm. But we know that people change, so why shouldn't characters change? But we don't change so radically. Mostly, uh, some people do, but mostly, the, the change is gradual or perhaps extreme in some elements, but not in all in all ways. So what does legacy have to do? How does it play into this? Is you've got the lore or the the, the Bible of the storyline at, at one end, but you're trying to keep track of where the arc is for that character. Would it make sense? Mm. Would the character, essentially what you're doing, and, and any, any writer of I think would say the same thing. You know this. You've written a novel. I've I've written some things. It's I'm writing some things. You're writing. It's it's. You know a character. You don't know everything about a character. Sometimes the character tells you what the character is going to do, but ultimately, when you get to the end of it, you look at it and you say, "Does it's, does that hold with where I began with this character?" Yeah, yeah, and I think that it it the motivations of the writer versus the producer versus the character itself and in the character in other people's minds, right? Because everybody's constructed different views of what this character means. And so what makes sense for how the character acts and thinks and behaves is going to vary between people. But I think that the most well-written characters are ones where everybody agrees that that is, is what would happen. And so when you, when you try to balance that with the element of surprise and telling new stories and, and that sort of thing, you, it makes it 
pretty easy to see how this gets screwed up quite a bit, mm -hmm. right? Because um, if you have this character, you have the canon informing this character, and you've and you've written this character, and you've done these things, and now you're trying to think about what they would do in the future without being completely predictable, uh, you can end up in in a lot of trouble. Well, it's, it's, it's an example of this was um, with the last Star Wars movies, the, the most recent three movies. Well, I shouldn't say that. It, within the Luke Skywalker storyline, <clears throat> there was an acquaintance of mine who was outraged at what happened with Luke Skywalker in what was the middle movie the theory not theory um uh, i've lost the titles yeah but but luke skywalker is uh he banished himself he's he's in isolation uh ray uh comes to find him and try to get him involved and he says no i can't leave and and he inserts himself into events from a distance with his jedi mind powers he projects himself he does battle with the villain <laughs> at that point um but i and and he and he dies and he becomes the jedi ghost like the rest of them and oh the 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 utter outrage luke skywalker he was such a wimp luke skywalker he was just he was he was just a shadow he wasn't luke skywalker anymore he would have gone personally jumped into his x-wing and gone and done battle with all of them and 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 I said no to, to this acquaintance. This is a teaching story. This is what happens when you work with somebody you have an extraordinarily difficult circumstance, uh, when you feel like you failed with a, a student and that student has gone on to do terrible things. And what do you do? You re-examine your teaching philosophy and whether you are an effective teacher or not and why you're there. And I've known lots of teachers have gone through that. Not like Luke Skywalker, but the <laughs> metaphor works. And and so, of course, he changes. Because if you have a whole lot of experiences and you don't change, then you've got 1960s television again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but one episode has nothing to do with the next, has nothing to do with the next. It's like, oh, that never happened. Or And they and eventually they started making references to this. But some of my favorite shows in the 60s were that way. The Wild Wild West. They had recurring villains. But, you know, the same stuff happened all the time. Uh, uh, the, one of the longest westerns of the time period was called Gunsmoke. That was interesting because you had this core of characters. And after 21, 22 years, of, <laughs> they hardly showed up. Uh, Matt Dillon, the main character, he'd occasionally show up toward the end of an episode. He'd be out on some quest doing something. And you'd be, where's Matt? Well, he's out there in the desert somewhere. <laughs> um, and that made more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think that it's funny. Uh, <laughs> my wife and I are actually talking about this this morning. Um, I'm doing a a D and D session with my friends, and and right now my character is by himself doing his quest, and the group is doing a different thing. Um, and my character is not a tough character, so he's relying on his wits and his ability to talk and stealth to try to deal with some of these big bad guys. And so I, I told her, I'm like, man, I wouldn't mind being back with the group. And she's like, well, didn't you say you guys are like in the same area? Why don't you just go find them? And I said, well, that's the thing is that's metagaming. Like I'm at the table, right? So I know that they're in the same area that I am. 
but my character in the game does not know that they're that close. For all he knows, they might be on the other side of the world. So if I suddenly just decide, say uh, to the, the dungeon master, hey, I want to go west. Say, why? What's over there? Why would you suddenly want to do that, yes. right? And if I don't have a good reason, I'm not going to be able to do that. Yes, yes, yes. So even though I'm in grave danger and my friends are just around the corner, right? I can't just go find them. I, you know, because I wouldn't know how to do that. Right. right. You have to, and that's that's the thing with characters is that, like you and your acquaintance, how you view a character, right? Your your acquaintance is viewing Luke Skywalker as being the hero from the original movies, right? Yep. And the hero never you know, hesitates to dive into the action and to do heroic things. Yep. Whereas you're viewing Luke Skywalker kind of traveling through the, the Campbellian arc in a different way, right? He started as, you know, the one being called to action and he had no skills, nothing to do. And he was just sort of being drugged, you know, dragged through this and just barely surviving because he had this supportive cast. And yep. then he arose to be the hero in the later movies but then through the things that have happened throughout life and, and some of the baggage that occurs in, in the other situations, you know, he became jaded and then he transitioned into being a mentor and the wise old man, right? So that shows character progression. Now, if none of those, none of the events that inspire that change are well articulated, it might be reasonable to assume that he might still be the hero, right? Let's say that you know, there was an alternate universe where he was just constantly successful, right? Everything that he did as a hero worked out. Anytime he jumped into action, it worked. Yeah. And the force kept his body in, in good shape and his mind, you know, in good shape. There's nothing to say that then as a 70-year-old, you know, Jedi, he couldn't go and defeat Kylo Ren in person. But that's a different universe than what has taken place in that storyline. And that's the difficult part about writing characters, right? In the novel that I just finished, I've got characters of different ages, right? And I yeah, have to think, yeah. okay, well, based on the life this character has lived, what would be their frame of mind? What would be their approach to dealing with other characters and other situations? And how would they feel on the other side of that? Um, and you do that very well because you've got a character not far from my age who is doing things different than, differently than somebody who was 30 yeah, <laughs> and, and fully armed. And, and, and because the person is not a warrior and the person is, you know, so, and so there's a consistency with that, but there are lots of surprises because you, I, you don't know everything about a character. If the character is good enough, uh, if the character is really an authentic character to me, then it is no different really than another person that you encounter in life because oh, we don't know everything about everybody. We don't even know everything about ourselves. We don't know everything about our parents. We do not know everything about siblings if we have them. We don't know everything about the uh, if we have a child. We don't know everything, even though we've been there from the moment it started. <laughs> like the universe starts and you still don't know everything. <laughs> even if you watch it go bang, <laughs> suddenly it's expanded and you can't and and a, a character who is of worth to me is a character who who's we, we recognize that we i don't want to know everything about the character because that would be unrealistic yeah 
So this brings us to maybe one of the most important questions, which is who's most entitled to guide a reboot? Should it be the original artist, the audience, the producers? Who should have the ultimate creative control over saying this is the way that the the reconceptualization should happen? I think the writers. Uh, but not in 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 utter uh, ignorance of all those other that cluster of people. If you're talking about a TV show, uh, the writers and and then the director, the producers might well have reverence for a story or be interested and love the story. And, and so I'm not taking that away from them. But ultimately, their job is to give the money or find the money. Or and and you have a showrunner for a television show who's supposed to be making sure that the show is consistent and aligned with if it's a reboot. Uh, but I think really it's the, the writer. Does the writer respect the characters or, or not? And this is where I have issues with some comic book movies, of mm. course, because as an audience member of 60 decades, or six decades, 60, how about that? <laughs> uh, well, I'm older than I thought. Uh, <laughs> uh, you... Uh, you have these views. I, I've talked to you about that. My Thor is not everybody's Thor, and that's how it's supposed to be. My Thor shouldn't be the same Thor as a, as a, I, I know a young person in Warsaw. We talk about comic books. He, he's like a ninth grader. What? It can't be. Well, it shouldn't be. It, can, it won't be completely different, but Thor is going to talk exactly the same as he did in 1960s Jack Kirby, Stan Lee stuff. And and because if it did, it, it would it would die on the vine. Yeah, the story, the characters have to grow. They have to accrue things from their own time, from the time in which they're being reconceived or carried forward. You know, Thor is pretty much one of those characters who just carried forward. Well, you you got to have new things happen. Yeah, yeah. I think that this goes back to our discussion last week on institutional foundations. Mm, some mm -hmm. when at the end of that episode, we talked about how. You know, the the will of the majority or the will of the people isn't necessarily always the right thing. And I think this is a good demonstration of it, right? Is because if the audience is clamoring for something in a in a character, and you're guiding your decisions off of that, you're going to have a bad time. One, because there's not going to be any consistency among the audience, because like you just said, the character is going to mean different things to each. Person. I don't want the audience voting from episode to episode what happens next. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's too fickle. Right. That's, you know, you never, you can't please everybody. Yeah, and so that, and <clears throat> when we're talking about how these episodes relate, right, that that goes over to political systems and and to other things as well, where you go, well, you know, it's 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 difficult to, you know, there are times when democracy is great, then there's other times where you go, well, the how they're informed and the expertise in the situation is different. Sometimes you need somebody who is able to, like you said, the writer, the writer or the director, the showrunner, these people that have a connection to characters and training and how to, to do these sorts of things um, might be better apt to, to actually proceed with it. Um, and, you know, producers, that's, that's a dangerous situation, right? Because these might be the people that are ultimately responsible for a project even getting done at all. Yeah. And so it can be very difficult to, if they have an opinion, say, well, no, right? 
Um, but so with the with the artist, right? Let's say an original artist is still alive. Okay. So yeah. Star Wars is a good example, right? We have George Lucas who created Star Wars, then he yeah. sold the franchise. Now he has, you know, he, he's offered to consult, but you know, is Disney going to take any of his suggestions or leave them or whatnot? Right. Do you think that an original artist should have a say in in how a reboot um, goes on, even if they're not involved in the project? I do. Um, if unless they've signed off and said no, I'm done. If you say no, I'm done. Of course, people change their minds about things when they come and they can offer to come back, but it's reasonable to say no. You were done, and and you are. Um, I'm thinking of a, of a rather classic situation of this, but it's Arthur Conan Doyle writing the Sherlock Holmes uh, stories. And, you know, the various versions of this, but essentially, he got tired of Holmes because he was writing other things and people weren't really giving them quite their due. And, and he decided to kill Sherlock Holmes. And he did. He had his arch-villain Moriarty throw him off in a waterfall. That's said Holmes was done. Readers were outraged. They, they were going to cancel subscriptions to the magazine with this show. They, they wrote letters excoriating Conan Doyle, excoriating the publisher and everything else. And finally, finally, Conan Doyle felt, and they were, you know, essentially boycotting his other stuff. But for all kinds of clusters of reasons, he felt like, okay, big sigh, I got to come back and do Holmes. So he writes this, this method by which Holmes could actually have survived that like, fall down the cascades. But to me, that, that's a sad example of uh, social pressure. And I understand why Conan Doyle caved to it. But this is why people shouldn't be able to tell you, no, that character can't die. Yes, they can. And when they don't, and when they die, and then you bring them back for financial purposes, there's something that doesn't read nearly as well. Yeah. That happened with Spock in the Star Trek movies, the first Star Trek movies. Yeah. So, you know, in my mind, it's almost like, um, like zombie characters, right? Yeah. You know, you had a character that lived a good life and it died a good death. And now <clears throat> you're bringing it back, but it's not the same as what it was, right? I don't mind resurrection stories as long as there is not a financial burden. Yeah. But that there's a, within the universe, the story is being told, there's a plausible possibility of a return. Why do we reboot franchises instead of creating new ones? If we have all of these issues, all these things, you know, we have to consider canon. We have to consider legacy. We have to consider, you know, what the fans think, what the producers think, what the original artist thinks. All of these things that go into, you know, all of these restrictions. And then knowing that even after you do it, and even if you try to do a good job and try to be true to the characters, there's going to be people that are very upset with you. Why don't we just write our own stories, write new stories? That, that's a really good question. Uh, I think that the nostalgia factor is certainly involved, but not, not just simplistically. 
we we want stories of characters that have spoken to us. That's why fan fiction existed for the longest time, which which ignited many uh, epistolary <laughs> wars um, even before social media, when people were writing, well, the, the Batman did this, or Captain Kirk did that, or uh, Supergirl did, uh, uh, and and people no 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 they that and it, it was wild because I I saw some of these back before they were called zines these were mimeographed things that if you you paid ten cents and were in correspondence with a group of people around the country you get these stories mm-hmm. Conan stories and so on I say wow yeah this is good I like this story but then you. There'd be a response in the magazine, and people would say that story sucked. <laughs> it's not what that. Well, so all of that is to say that there we have we have connections to characters that we'd like to see more about. But I think sometimes we have a sense of when it's done, and then we don't necessarily go back and watch reboots or or go to the next novel. Um, What's going to be interesting, since we're in pop culture, as an example of this, is the Daniel Craig James Bond, uh, who dies. He just stops at the end of the last movie because he's there's nothing he can do that won't cause some harm except to just stand and be blown up. And there's a, a tragedy and a, and a heroic mythos to to that. And humanity, but of course, who's the next James Bond? We've already got another. So what? We're in a multiple James multiverse, James mm-hmm. Bond multiverse. Where oh, this is Earth six seventeen, and mm-hmm. James Bond is this person. And okay, I'll probably go watch the James Bond movie because I like the music because it's just ridiculously over the top. But but there's still an expectation. James Bond is not Jason Statham, right? You know, it's, it's it, there's you 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 have some sense of what the character does. He's so suave and he's so cool, and 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 he has some gadgets. <laughs> you know, we we have this, and that becomes a um, once upon a time. Here's an alternate version of Cinderella, and another alternate version of Cinderella. But the fact that you actually killed him off, but we're already planning to bring him back again. That diminishes the death of the character, I, I think. And, and I think it would have been a good time to say, that's enough Bond. And go to a different storytelling, go to MI6, have a super duper, and do the story about 008. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And give them a different backstory. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's crazy just to do James Bond again. Right, right. Yeah, no, and I agree with you there. But yeah, when, when thinking about it, why do we reboot franchises instead of starting new ones? You know, I'm, I'm wondering if it's, I think there's definitely an element, you know, there's the nostalgia. And I think that there's sort of the, the comfort or safety or security from the writer's side of knowing that you have things develop. You can work within a framework. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also wonder if there's a little bit of, you know, we we see the reboots so prevalently in the 21st century. Like they didn't, we didn't really have much of that before, not, right? Not you nearly know? as much. Uh, no. So we talked about Batman. You know, in every decade, Batman got you know 
rebooted, but then we had three Spider-Man reboots in the, in 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 twenty years. Yeah, yeah, and so really in the twenty first century, it, it's exploded. And part of me wonders with that is if the writers don't have faith that the audience has the patience or imagination to stick with the world building of introducing new stories, you know, that may be, or the writers may not have that interest. I I think, I think it's, it's a strange um, compression of time where you feel like you're going to miss an audience. So essentially I think it's an insult to younger audiences to say, Oh, okay. You won't watch a 40 year old Spider-Man. Hmm. Because maybe they would, and that sort of got proven out in the in the last Spider-Man movie in the in the Marvel yeah. sequence, when two other Spider-Men from the other multiverses came back, and people just cheered. Mm-hmm. So Tobey Maguire, who's forty something, and and Andrew uh, Garfield, Garfield, and it was great, and you could see how they did their Spider-Man differently, but they all they all had some elements that were. Um, quintessential, but clearly people accepted them, and uh, so much so that I guess they're going to be spinoff <laughs> movies, or that's the rumored anyway. So uh, it it's it's strange because it's like they, you're right; they don't trust. I mean, if you think about it, and I know people would be uh, outraged by this, and I don't mean to outrage; I truly don't. But our traditions every year are essentially oddly reboots what i mean is let's take something like halloween first we're going to dress up and kids are going to go say trick-or-treat but then we have to do it better so we'd have trick-or-treat but then we have trunk or treat and I'd never heard about that until recently. I don't think it's been going on for more than 10 years, maybe. And maybe part of it was, pan- maybe not even 10 years, it was pand- pandemic canted. Oh, well, we want to, the kids have Halloween, but we can't get near each other, so we'll just open our trunks and <clears throat> and then go to the back of the car and take something. But that continues. Why did that stay a tradition? What? Why is it? Because it's not the same thing as going and knocking on people's doors. And so Halloween was rebooted. <clears throat> But it's paired with traditional Halloween. They both exist at the same time. Well, Star Trek is rebooted, but the originals are still there. It's like we can't, we, we don't let something go. We just add to it, sort of change it, and, and then glom it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it seems like in a lot of cases, that can be the undoing of it to an extent, is um, when... You keep adding on and adding on until you can't remember what the original vision underneath was. You may remember regard. that in classrooms around Thanksgiving time, I, I always refer to, I said to people coming in the door, happy, hollow, thankness, <laughs> because we have created this continuous candy, social pressure to buy things, decorations and things from October, or from <clears throat> beginning of October, really, the whole month is Halloween. Go to any store and you'll find that. And and it's, uh, the, oh, but then we got to be ready for Thanksgiving, but then we got to be ready for Christmas. 
Then there's a quick breather, and then <gasps> Valentine's Day, and and you know we get so caught up, and there's almost no space. So it's just one long, uh, uh, mind numbing, if one lets it be, um, trip. Yeah, and it loses you know the the whole purpose for why a holiday exists. Yes, a holiday is the, 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 the relevance. Is, yeah, it's meant to be a special time celebrating a specific purpose but then i i have a guy come into work and he's and he says to me you know down at walmart they just cleared out the fourth of july stuff you know what they put up a wall of christmas ornaments yep. and i said who wants to buy christmas ornaments in july you know who's well, buying that, this because stuff? this is the total capitalistic imperative because if you don't buy them in in july or august they won't be there and you'll be sorry so it's always keep up lose your breath don't breathe just just Run, 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 run until you're tired and ragged and, and, and nothing left to spend because the social pressure of the capitalistic box store says you've got to do it at this time. This is all that this, this is where it becomes nihilistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, things lose their meaning. There's, yep. there's not a meaning to it. Yeah, so it's, it's fun, you know, and I think that um, part, of, part of trying to write new stories as opposed to old ones is. Um, you know, okay, so you need a lot more detail. Those details haven't been filled in for you in the world, in the mm -hmm. characters and in things. So I think it's it's fun. It's more fun to do that from a writing perspective. But then you also have the pressures of, of the outside where, you know, if you, if you want to write a superhero movie, right, there's going to be people saying, oh, well, no matter what you write, they'll say, oh, well, this is just a ripoff of this character because every superhero character has been done. You know, same thing when I went to write my book, right? Yeah. Okay, so I want to write a, a, a fantasy book. Well, medieval fantasy, everybody's, everybody's done that, so you can't write anything new, right? There's and nothing I, new under the sun. It's all the spins and, and, and interesting details you put to it. Yeah, and so I think that's another part of it in the 21st century that gets writers a little scared maybe of doing something new is because they they're we're so oversaturated with media that there's this false sense that all the stories have been told and anything new I try to do is just going to be derivative of something else. This leads well I've got to, I've got to just quickly insert this. This is what uh, some librarians see happening when uh, a kid will like a story, Captain Underpants or something, and, but that's all they want to read. Do you have any other Captain Underpants stories? Do you have any other books that are just like Captain Underpants? <laughs> and, and no, the, the point is not to read books that are just like them. You know, well, we have other you know, goofy kid books, right, or, or you know, fantasy story. You're not going to get up more Lord of the Rings because other people talk about orcs and so on, but it's not Lord of the Rings. Uh, but there is lots of adventure and, and nope, nope, I just want Lord of the Rings. Well, that's great, but it's, there's not going to be any more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so I think that... I'm I, glad. I don't want that to be a friend. Yeah, as I think as a creative person, right, you have to be able to find the elements of stories that inspire you and then reimagine them in new ways, and then reimagine characters in new ways, and reimagine whole arcs in new ways. And if you do that, by the time you get to the end, you have a new story, right? I've talked about doing that with music, right? Where I'll listen to an artist and I'll go, oh, wow, that's a really cool guitar part yeah. or bass part or drum part. And so 
am I just going to take that part and put it into my song? No, that would legitimately be ripping something off, right? But I'll attempt to copy the aesthetic of the guitar, what, what effects they were using and put it on a new riff yeah. or try to take a piece of that riff, but then write a different part at the end of it or at the beginning of it to turn it into something different. And then as long as you're layering new elements on top of it, by the time you get to the end, it doesn't resemble the original thing at all. Right. And I think that's that sort of, you know, to borrow an existential term, that's the leap of faith that you have to take, right? <laughs> Is that when you go to be inspired, if you're inspired by something and you go to, to use some aspect of it, you have to take a leap of faith that you have enough creativity and new ideas inside yourself to make something new out of it and not rehash or rip off or copy something. Well, because otherwise what we end up with is, is our old, uh, our old interview mate, uh, Chad GPT, writing the same stories over mm. and over and over again for us. Yeah. Yeah. So this one, yeah, this, this one was fun. And, uh, I, I, I hope we do more episodes in the future that are a little bit, a little bit lighter like that. Yes. Until next time, keep on. Doing it.